Well, we're coming to the end of, our, of the Book of Ruth, this amazing story of this Moabite woman and Naomi and Boaz and just all of the redemption that's wrapped up in this story. It's just it's such an amazing um, book that's helped us to see the wonderful character of Jesus in these pages. And um, we've seen throughout this whole time, you know, Naomi emptied of all her human resources, but by the end of the story, there's a complete turnaround and she's filled again. She was bitter, but the Lord restored her pleasantness. We We saw how a famine in Israel led to a poor choice to leave Bethlehem, the house of bread, to move to Moab, to a place of exile and death and grief and bitterness. But the Lord restored. He brought back and he reintroduced life into the situation. We've seen a glimpse of the cross-cultural church with Naomi and Ruth returning to Bethlehem. It was a prophetic sign of what was going to happen years later when Jew and Gentile would come together in Jesus Christ. The dividing wall would be uh, torn and brought asunder as Jew and Gentile became one in Jesus Christ. Amazing, amazing prophetic symbolism in that, just in that picture there. And then Ollie really helped us to see the sovereign hand of God wrapped around the story of both Ruth and Naomi, but in our stories as well. Sometimes, and I think we've touched on it a bit this morning, sometimes when we don't see God at work in the natural things that are around us, maybe it looks like completely the opposite, but God in his amazing sovereign grace, when we don't see it and when we don't feel like it, he is restoring life in us. He's working a work in us. And we saw that in the lives of Naomi and Ruth. And then John last Sunday just helped us to see that uh, the other kinsman redeemer, the law, tells us what we should do, but doesn't give us the strength to do those things, doesn't give us the ability to do what's right. But Jesus, in his great love, not only, yes, sets a high standard, but enables us by his power, by his death and resurrection, to live for the glory of God. And so we have just been through this amazing journey. And I just wanted to recommend this book to you, actually. Um, Many of you will know Bill and Mo Tizard. Mo, put your hand up. There she is. She's written a brilliant book on the whole story of Ruth. And this has been such a blessing to me. I know it has to Ollie as well and others who have read this book. But I want to encourage you to grab a copy of that. I think there's some copies at the back. So it's well worth it. So if you want to do a study on Ruth... That is a brilliant book and encourage you to, to read that together. So we come to the end of the story and I, and I think we're going to zoom out of this amazing story. We're going to start to see some big, big picture stuff because so often we can focus on the immediate, what's in front of us, but I want us to zoom out and see something that's happening even bigger than what the immediate lessons are that we're learning in this story. And so, uh, I don't know if you've ever played that game where you look at a picture which is zoomed in and then you try and figure out what it is. So, I'm going to ask Keith to put up a slide. And so, I want, this is a bit of us being involved together. So, can anyone tell me what this is? 
Any ideas? Flower, that's one. No, it's not a flower. Anything else? Orange? Yeah, nearly. Any others? Sorry? Grapes. Okay, let's zoom out. Let's zoom out, Keith. Ah. Orange was fairly close, but no, it's a pepper. That's the next one, Keith. Any ideas? Spaghetti. Oh, toothbrush. You're right. Whoever said toothbrush is right. There you go. We've got one more. Anyone see that? Who said pencil? Hey, Ben, you're right. It's a pencil. You know, so often we interpret things very close up. We see things just as they are in front of us. And we've seen lots of different things through this amazing story of Ruth. We've learned about wonderful hesed, this beautiful love of God, this covenant love of God. We've talked and learned about our Redeemer, Boaz, which is a symbolic person of Jesus Christ. And, um, but we can so often in our everyday lives get caught up in the detail, in what's going on in front of us, in our sleeping, in our eating, in our arguing, in our working, in our stressing out, in our hurting and laughing. We can easily lose the big picture in all of the intricacies of what is in front of us. And today I want us to have an opportunity to look at what's going on in, the, in this story as a whole. We see that in this story, events that seem so coincidental are being ordained by the sovereign hand of God. It just happened that um, Ruth went into the field of Boaz. It just happened that Boaz met her and saw her and then looked with favor upon her. There are so many things that just happened, but in all of that just happened, God is involved in an amazing way. And in our lives, in the things that we think are just happening, by coincidence, God is involved. And some of us need to hear that this morning. When we go through the darkest and most difficult times, we need to know that even in those times, he is with us. I love that Psalm 23 where it says, even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil because he is with us. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. And so often, when we're in the middle of things, when we just see things as they are right in front of us, the tension, the stress, we miss out that even in those times, God, in his wonderful mercy and grace, is about a bigger work than what we can see immediately in front of us. In this story, we see those coincidental events wrapped in and around with the sovereignty of God. God provides by answering prayers. You know, maybe we have found ourselves in situations in these last few months where we thought, what am I doing here? This is a tough place. I don't know why, you know, Elimelech and Naomi went out to Moab, why they made that choice to do that. We know there was a famine in Bethlehem. We know that the situation was difficult. But the God, their God, had always promised to provide for them. 
And so, but they did still go out to Moab, which was only about 50 or 60 miles away, but they left Bethlehem, they left the place of provision that God had promised. Bethlehem is literally called the house of bread. And they went into Moab. And I know that in our lives, I've certainly seen it in mine, there are times when we don't immediately see God's provision, that we take our own decisions and we make choices that bring us into difficult places. How many of us have done that? Yeah. (laughs) When we can't see God answering our prayers, we decide to answer them on God's behalf. Yes, we've done that, haven't we? We think we can provide our own blessing or we can make a way. And I think that what happened here, and we don't necessarily read it in the story, but I'm sure what's going on here is that the, the famine in Bethlehem was so difficult that Elimelech and, Ru- and Naomi moved to Moab. And in that moving, they moved out of the sovereignty and the blessing of God at that time. And we can so easily do that. This is not to condemn us or to make us feel bad, but I know that at times we do that. We try and figure out how we can provide in our own wisdom and strength for what we need. And yet God all the time is wanting to provide for us. He wants to look after us. And when I was at Centro just a couple of weeks ago, uh, Mary Prentice, who many of you know, she just shared this um, amazing word, really. It just simply just said this. She says, we are more concerned that God change our outward circumstances. However, God is more concerned with changing us. He wants to change us. And everything within us is crying out, Lord, will you please change my circumstances? Will you please make things better? Will you please provide this in my life? And so often God is, yes, of course, concerned about those things. But he wants to change you and me. He is more concerned about placing something in us and doing something in us that transforms us for good. And I think as we zoom out of this story today, I want us to see something that maybe we don't see so obvious, particularly when we live in the close-up. I don't want you to miss this, but it's all through this story, and it's particularly in these last few verses that we're going to read in just a bit. I want you to listen, I want you to hear this, because it's so important. And maybe through this time of COVID, and maybe through some of the stuff that we've gone through as a church family together, we lose sight of this. Maybe in our individual circumstances, through loss and difficulties, maybe we've lost jobs, or we've lost loved ones. Through all of those things, I want us to see something really, really precious. And it's this. God desires to bless you. God desires to bless you. (laughs) Do you believe that? God desires to bless you. Amen? I want to say it again because I think sometimes we lose sight of it in the close-up. God desires to bless you. And even though things will be tough and situations will be difficult, God still desires to bless you. And his ultimate desire over our lives is blessing. And we're going to see that in these, 
in these verses as we come to the end of Ruth. And so often, blessing comes as a result of a turning towards him. And when we look at this story and we see Naomi in Moab, she's lost her husband, but she's not only lost her husband, she's lost her two sons. I mean, this doesn't look like blessing to me. This doesn't look like God wants to bless Naomi in this situation. But he does, and he will, and he's going to. And when we go through difficult situations in our lives, when we lose, when things seem completely impossible, I want you to know that there is an ultimate plan in the heart of God, and that is to bless you, and to provide for you, and to meet your needs, and to look after you. But often those times of difficulty, they lead in us to a time of turning to God. And I don't know where you are in your journey with God at the moment, but I know that there's been times in my life where he's brought me to my knees so that I just turn to him. But he's brought me to the end of my own independent sufficiency so that I will turn to him and cry out to him. And in this story, we see Naomi doing that. You know, she realized that she was in the wrong place. She needed to be back in Bethlehem. She needed to be back in the house of bread. And so she takes a decision and she turns. And we need to make those decisions at times in our lives. We need to turn our faces back to God. You know, I love what it says in Acts chapter 3. It says, repent therefore, turn to me so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of God. And so we need to do that at times. We need to turn to God. And he brings us to our knees so many times. You know, he's done that to me on many occasions. Just bring me to my knees and I realize that I need you, Lord. I've tried to do this life on my own. I've tried to work things out in my own strength. I thought this was the best plan for me, but I realize that you've got the best plan for me. And I turn towards you right now. And I trust you, Lord, that you will provide. And we see in both Naomi and Ruth this very intentional turning. For Naomi, the turning was from Moab back to Bethlehem. She'd reached rock bottom. She was broken and bitter without future or security. For Ruth, it was turning from her Moabite ways to receive a new way of life, a new covenant. Your God will be my God, she says. I'm going to set my face like flint. I'm going to follow you, Naomi, back to Bethlehem. You know, blessing often finds its source in our turning, in our coming back to him. And as Naomi turned, we see blessing start to unfold in her life and in the life of Ruth. And coming back to Bethlehem, Naomi came back to the place where the Lord can bless once again. It wasn't easy. It never is. But there are times in our lives when we need to make that decision. Say, Lord, I need you. I can't do this life without me. Restore me. I desperately need you in my life to restore me. And so Naomi turns. Ruth comes with her. It's a bit like the prodigal son in many respects. There's a point when the prodigal son left full but came back empty. But in his coming back, he was restored into the family. And Naomi went away full, but came back empty. She said, call me Mara, 
call me bitter. But the Lord restored her pleasantness. He brought her back full. And God is preparing for Naomi a blessing beyond her wildest dreams. And sometimes when we, don't, when we see the tapestry, the rich tapestry in front of us, we just focus on a point of it. We miss the ultimate heart and intention of God is to provide and to bless. So I want us to come into these last verses of Ruth together. Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 to 22. And we're going to just read these last verses and um, we're going to pop them up on the screen. I wonder whether we could just read them together um, if we can so that we can just read them and just feel, you must feel the emotion in these verses. So let's read them together. Ruth chapter 4 verses 11 to 22. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son and the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law loves you. He is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. And then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Abinadab. And Abinadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. And Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Don't you just love genealogies? Often I turn off at those points. But there's something really significant in this genealogy that we're going to look at in just a bit. But they are an amazing, have an amazing way of helping us track the goodness of God. And as we end this story of Ruth, we start to see that there's a big story in the little story. It turns out that those small decisions mixed with God's faithfulness in the barley field or on the threshing floor at the gate of the city, those were the events that would bring Israel's king through whom God would send Israel's Messiah, Jesus, through, to, through whom 
you and I are redeemed. Through this story, we see the fingerprint of God. We see the way that he brings blessing. You know, if you know the story of Abraham, God promised Abraham, who was the ultimate father, of course, of Boaz and David and Jesus, in the genealogy sense, he promised that through Abraham, the nations of the world would be blessed. This story is training us to see the fingerprint of God in the everyday events of our lives. What if Naomi hadn't come back to Bethlehem? What if Ruth had not given up on everything and followed Naomi? What if she hadn't gleaned in Boaz's field? What if Boaz hadn't fallen in love with her and redeemed her? David would not have been born and Jesus would not have come. The gracious, sovereign hand of God was through this story. And I want us to zoom out even more as we look just at these last few verses. Boaz was the kinsman redeemer. He had to be a part of the family. Jesus had to become part of our family to redeem us. Do you see that? He had to become flesh to save us. He couldn't be an angel. An angel couldn't save us because he wasn't our kinsman. A great prophet couldn't save us because he was flawed. He couldn't be our redeemer. He had to be perfect. So through Jesus, we have a kinsman who's willing to take on our human flesh and die in our place and redeem us. Jesus is our ultimate kinsman redeemer. Do you see that? That he took on flesh. It says in John 1, doesn't it? It says that in, in the first chapter of John that he became flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He became our kinsman. Jesus emptied himself of all of his glory and came and lived amongst us, dwelt with us, understood our weakness, walked through our difficulties with us, went through our suffering together with us and died as our kinsman redeemer. He took our place. So Jesus was our kinsman redeemer. Boaz redeemed Ruth, but Jesus redeemed us and brought us into his family. Amazing. Thank you, Lord, that you took on human flesh. You left all of the glory of heaven and came and lived among us. Not only did he become flesh and dwelt among us, but I love this. You know, it says in, you know, in those last few verses, may you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. It's talking, this is the blessing that was pronounced over Boaz. And may your be, house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord would give you by this young woman. You know that that name Perez literally means breach. And when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he came 
to breach the gap, to stand in the gap between us and God. He was a descendant, as it were, of Perez, and he stood in the gap. He stood in the breach. Jesus was born in Bethlehem and would stand in the breach for us. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't leave us without a Redeemer, but you stood and you paid the price for us so that we can know your redemption. Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, had the duty of buying back the land to restore the inheritance of Elimelech for Naomi and Ruth. So in turn, he would get Ruth as his wife. Our Lord Jesus purchased the whole world because the deal included his bride, the church. The focus of his desire. You know, when we read Matthew Chapter 13 and verse 44, it says this, The kingdom is like unto a man going through a field, discovering treasure, who for the joy therefore immediately goes and sells all that he had in order that he might buy the field and obtain the treasure. I always used to think that that story was about us when we come to Christ. We find Christ, we find this treasure, so we go and sell everything that we have to buy the field and get the treasure But that story is about Jesus. (laughs) He found the treasure, which was who was us. He went and sold everything he had to redeem the field, the world, in order to gain the treasure. You see that? That he gave everything he had to redeem us, to redeem the field, but to gain the treasure. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9, For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. We don't know what debts were on this land that belonged to Naomi and to Elimelech, but we know that Boaz paid a great price for it, but he did it so that he could get Ruth, so he could redeem Ruth. And Jesus paid the greatest price for us so he could redeem you and he could redeem me and he could bring us into his purposes and his plans. I just love that, that he sold everything. He gave up everything because of his great love for us. Do you love that? I just love that, that he would give up everything to buy the field to get the treasure. Some of of us need to hear that this morning, that his love for you is so great that he's willing to be emptied of himself to buy you. It cost him everything. Boaz, as kinsman redeemer, redeemed Ruth and Naomi's inheritance within Bethlehem and in the promised land. In doing so, he provided a secure home for Naomi and Ruth. In chapter 4, verses 11, we read this. We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah. Jesus is bringing us into his home. Sometimes we can feel we're on the outside looking in. Maybe we don't feel a part of, this, of his home and his house. But I want you to know this morning, because of his great love for us, 
Jesus is bringing us into his home. He's bringing us into the security of his purposes. He's redeeming this inheritance for us. We are now heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ because of what he has done on the cross. He's not left us without an inheritance. We have an inheritance in Jesus Christ. We are heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. God has provided this amazing place of security for us. Boaz, as kinsman redeemer, provided a son through Ruth for Naomi. Verse 14 says that the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life. When the women were talking to Naomi, they were talking of Obed, the son that was born to Ruth. He will be to you a restorer of life, that in your old age you will have a son. And Ruth gave Obed to Naomi and to nurse and to care for. And the women said, the Lord has blessed you with this child. He has blessed you with a son, even in your old age, when it looked like death had robbed you of your two sons before, God has restored a son to you, Naomi. And, and as a church, we need to hear this, and you as individuals, we need to hear this. God has this amazing ability to restore life to us. He restores life to us. He gives us purpose and blessing, and he restores the things that we have lost into our lives. And so often when we, we get so caught up in the day-to-day -day and the things that are going on, we miss out that God is the restorer of life in our situation. He longs to restore life as he did with Naomi, as he did with Ruth. He's doing that with us. He's giving us a hope and a future. He's blessing us. He's the restorer of life. Death is defeated. Jesus has won. The cross has won the victory. And there's no doubt that we can live in the fullness of that blessing because of what Jesus has done. Let's not carry on living in a place of bitterness. We can choose today to, to fully step into all that Christ has offered for us on the cross. And finally, the kinsman redeemer pays all our debts. He takes everything that we owe and restores it. And, and the kinsman redeemer provides a glorious destiny for us. We're now included in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And I just want to finish just with this, these beautiful words from Isaiah 54. And I'm going to, initially I'm going to paraphrase them in my own kind of words, but we, many of us will know this. This is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. It's been such a blessing to me because it talks about how the Lord destroys the power of fear over our lives. He restores those things that we are lost and he blesses us with things that we don't deserve. So many good things. So he says this, do not fear. Isaiah 54 verses 4 to 8. Do not fear for you will not be disgraced. This is what the Lord says to us. You will not be disgraced. For you will not be put to shame. Your kinsman redeemer is the Holy One of Israel.
For the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit. But with everlasting kindness, I will have mercy on you, says the Lord, your kinsman, Redeemer. I will have mercy on you. Let me just read it from the message translation. Don't be afraid. You're not going to be embarrassed. Some of you need to hear that. You're not going to be embarrassed. Don't hold back. You're not going to come up short. You'll forget all the humiliations of your youth. You know, the fact you lost your husband and you lost your two sons. You're going to forget those humiliations and the indignities of being a widow will fade from your memory. Listen, for your maker is your bridegroom. Your maker is your bridegroom. His name, the God of the angel armies, your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, known as God of the whole earth. You were like an abandoned wife, devastated with grief, and God has welcomed you back. Like a woman married young and then left, says your God. Your redeemer says, I left you but only for a moment, and now with enormous compassion, I'm bringing you back. In an outburst of anger, I turned my back on you, but only for a moment. It's with everlasting love that I'm tenderly caring for you. God allows us to go through times of difficulty, times of challenge, so that he can restore us to him. I'm going to invite Ben and Faye to come up on the team I wonder whether we could just stand to our feet. Oh Lord, I thank you that you are the restorer of life. You restore life. And I pray right across this room that you restore life that you will restore life, that you will show us how much you love us, that you are willing to pay our debts, to bring us home, to give us back those things that we've lost. You bless us. And even when we can't see it, even when things are so close up, we cannot see your hand at work, we know that your desire is for us, to bless us, to provide for us, to minister your grace to us. Thank you for your sovereign hand of, of grace at work in our lives. Thank you that you became sin so that we would know no sin, that we would become the righteousness of God. You paid the price, Lord. As we see you through the pages of this amazing book, Lord, all, everything within us wants to praise the one who stood in the gap, who bridged the gap for us, who made a way for our redemption and brought us into your genealogy. Lord God, we are now children of God, joint heirs with Christ, heirs of God, heirs of your blessing and heirs of your provision. Amen. Thank you, Lord.